You were made to thrive in life. And for the rest of this year, we're going to study what Jesus said about how you can thrive in life. So I want to ask you a question. Would you say that you are thriving? Or would you say that you're merely surviving? Let's not settle for mere survival. Let's not settle for eking by in relationships, going from paycheck to paycheck in a meaningless existence. You were made to thrive. And so I'm inviting you to join with me on a journey as we unpack what Jesus said about how we can all thrive in life. And something happened a few years ago that has really fueled my passion for the journey we will take together. Uh, if you watched my message online last week, I shared this story in it, but there's only about 1,200 people who watched it, and this part of my story is just too important, for me at least. And so I'm gonna share it with you again if you did not hear it. So a few years ago, uh, my wife and I were, had finished dinner. We went into the living room to watch uh, one of my favorite uh, shows. It has uh, my favorite comedian, Jim Gaffigan, in it. Anyway, I think he's super funny. <clears throat> and so anyway, we were watching this show, and about a few minutes into the program, I turned to my wife to make a comment about the show, and I couldn't get my mouth to form the words. It, it felt like, if you've ever seen a person, a person with cerebral palsy, like, like trying to really work to get their mouth to make a word, and at first I was embarrassed, if I could say, because I, I had a glass of red wine, and I thought, dude... You can't even handle a glass of red wine? Come on, man. Well, I didn't try to talk for the next few hours, and then my wife went off to get ready for bed, and I finally motioned for her to come back into the living room, and, and I tried to tell her that I was having a hard time speaking, but again, I couldn't get my mouth to make the words. And her eyes got real big, and she, she you know, took me to the emergency room immediately. And when I walked into the emergency room, they quickly checked me in with symptoms of a stroke. And I won't go into all the gory details of the 26 vials of blood that were sucked out of me or the cameras that were shoved in places cameras ought not to go, if you know what I mean. But they determined that I had a TIA, a mini stroke, and they found a hole in my heart that they said likely caused it all. And Needless to say, I was shocked. I mean, I've worked really hard. I eat right. I work out. You know, I go to the doctor every year and all of that stuff. But I was shocked. And so as I lay there in that hospital bed, that uncomfortable hospital bed, for four days, I had a lot of time to think. And I thought about what was really important in my life. You know, my relationship with God my relationship with my wife and family, my, my relationship with the church, and then my own personal calling. And as it pertains to those last two, I got real focused on what I care about as your pastor. I care about helping people experience eternal life forever and an abundant life here and now, a life where you can thrive. And according to Jesus, Thriving involves God's blessing. And he teaches us that God blesses certain countercultural attitudes. That once we have them, God blesses. And it's the blessing 
that causes us to thrive. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus is getting ready to mess with you through his teaching. This is what I mean by that. The world tells us to thrive, it's better to be strong because the strong rule the weak. The world tells us to thrive, it's better to be rich because the rich rule the poor. The world tells us to thrive, it's better to be assertive and aggressive because they rule the passive. The world says it's better to be self-assured and self-focused, that that's how you get ahead in life. Now, we all come out of the womb with a certain kind of self-orientation, right? I mean, babies cry to get what they want. Toddlers throw hissy fits to get what they want. Teenagers rebel to get what they want. It's all about getting what I want, right? And so we don't have to teach our kids how to be self-oriented. We're all born that way. We teach them not to be self-oriented. And so what that leads to is that we all, to a certain extent, struggle with certain aspects of pride. It's just a part of human nature. But in some of us, pride is stealing our ability to experience an abundant life where we can thrive. So I'm going to ask you a question. To what extent do you struggle with pride? So I've, I've worked with a counselor to develop a pride evaluation instrument. So we're going to do a little brief evaluation tonight. And so as I go through these different characteristics, if they're true of you, I just want you to start counting them up on your fingers and spouses. Don't be looking at each other's hands, you know. And, uh, and normally the first response is the right response. Okay, you ready? People sometimes say I'm arrogant or cocky. If that's true of you, stick out your thumb. Number two, I focus on the failings of others. I am offended by honest criticism. I don't tend to admit when I am wrong. People say that I am stubborn. I sulk when things don't go my way. Ouch. I tend to blame others for my problems. I tell white lies to protect my image. People say I have a strong personality. I feel envy when others succeed. I am very competitive and hate to lose. I tend to steer conversations to me and my interests. Okay, you got them all? You got them all added up? Okay, so count them up, and if you count it up four or more, you likely struggle with certain pride issues, and if you count it up six or more, somebody should smack you right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what's going on. We protect our pride because deep down, we believe it's the best way to thrive. But Jesus taught that you can't thrive when you hold on to pride. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. <clears throat> His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what does he mean by all of that? Before we unpack 
his teachings here, I want to first make sure we understand what the word blessed means. Because, you know, there's all that hashtag blessed stuff, you know, on social media. And I think what it means to be blessed has got sort of muddied up a little bit. And so let me explain what Jesus meant by blessed. The Greek word translated blessed is makarios. And that word is sometimes translated as happy. It literally means to feel happiness due to divine favor. So divine favor occurs when God is for us. And when God is for us, we will thrive in life. And guess what? That's what makes us happy. When we thrive in life. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not teaching people how to get eternal life. Jesus offered people two different kinds of life. Eternal life and an abundant life. And we receive eternal life through faith in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done for us by faith alone. But an abundant life, you have to take hold of. And according to Jesus, you take hold of the abundant life by holding on to his teachings. And that's why this week and for the rest of the year, we're gonna focus on Jesus' core teachings, what he taught his followers about how to thrive in life. So let's go back through and walk through these counter-cultural attitudes that Jesus said God would bless so we can thrive. The first one Jesus said is verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, if a person is poor in money, what does that mean? It means they doesn't have much, right? And if a person is in poor health, it means they don't have a lot of health. To be poor in spirit means to be lacking in spirit. A person who is poor in spirit has a poverty of ego. A person who is poor in spirit is not arrogant. A person who is poor in spirit doesn't go to the gas pump with five big red containers and fill it up with gas and then fill up their vehicle. Mm. If that was you, you need to give a double tithe this week. Okay, let it go, let it go. A person who is poor in spirit has a right view of himself in relationship with God and in relationship with others. I like the way C.S. Lewis describes humility. He said, a person with this characteristic does not think less of himself, he just thinks of himself less. Second characteristic Jesus described, he said, blessed, this is verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what does it mean to live with an attitude of mourning? Well, people mourn over many things. They mourn over poor life choices, broken relationships, missed opportunities, things like that. But Jesus said, happy are those who mourn. And that just doesn't seem right, right? So what's he talking about? Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who prophesied that when the Messiah came, and that is Jesus, that he would comfort those who mourned over their sins. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he is saying, happy are those who grieve over their sins. You see, mourners aren't perfect, but they're humble enough to admit their own struggles with sins. And here's Jesus' point. Sin makes us unhappy. When we give in to the allure of darkness, we hurt others and we hurt ourselves. 
And that is what steals much of our joy. We've all experienced the depression that comes when we sin and the guilt that follows after it. When I have pursued sin in my life, it never made my life better. It always made it worse, every time. Mourners are people who are humble enough to admit their sins and to grieve over them, and ultimately, it makes you happy. Next characteristic, the meek. This is verse five. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, did he mean blessed are the pushovers, the wimps, the wusses, and the easily manipulated? I don't think so. The Greek term translated meek literally means power under control. To be meek does not mean to be weak. It means to humbly use one's powers, whatever power you have, to serve others. And so what might meekness look like for us today? Meekness occurs when a husband stops bullying his wife and starts sacrificially serving her instead. Meekness occurs when parents let kids pick the movie to watch or the restaurant to eat at, even if it's McDonald's, again. Meekness occurs when a boss admits when the employee is right. How many times does that happen? Meekness occurs when the influential use their power to help people in need instead of helping themselves. Now, what I want you to notice is what these three characteristics all have in common. They all reflect an attitude of humility. People who are poor in spirit have a humble attitude about themselves. People who mourn have a humble attitude about their own sin struggles. And people who are meek have a humble attitude toward others. And here's the deal. God promises to bless us as we grow in humility. And when God blesses us, that is what helps us thrive. And when we thrive, that is what makes us happy. Don't you want to be happy? But pride, it steals our joy. And I remember a time when God showed me how my own pride was keeping me from thriving. So I had moved to Dallas uh, to get a second master's degree in theology. I was nearing graduation and I was quite confident when I got done, churches would be lining up to hire me. I mean, I was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, and the first time I graduated with, with my degree, I had a ministry hired me before I even started looking. So, man, I was, I was pretty confident. Anyway, so I started looking for a church job three months before I graduated. Pretty sure I'd have one, you know, at the end of that time. Well, three months came and went. Then it was seven months. And by seven months, my wife was uh, getting ready to give birth to our first child. So she gave birth to Sean, and then my wife's maternity leave ended, and my wife made more money than I did, so she went back to work, and I was Mr. Mom. So now it was nine months in, and then it was a year later, and I still had no opportunities. And I remember... I remember going in to put Sean down in the, in the crib for his nap. He was in the, this room that was like the nursery slash extra bedroom slash office. And I just knelt down beside the bed and I remember just pouring out my heart to God. I was like, God, 
I gave up my career to be an architect. I was going to be an architect and make lots of money. And I instead became a pastor. And I pursued two graduate degrees to get myself ready for what you called me to do. And here I am every day changing six poopy diapers a day going, goo goo gaga, where are you? And in that moment, it's like God started playing video movies in my brain. And he, he showed me these scenes from my life where I had expressed arrogant words and prideful words. And he showed me the ugliness of it all. And uh, it's like God was telling me my pride what was what was in my way. It was keeping me from thriving. It's almost like he was saying, I'm not sending you anywhere until you deal with this. So how do we face our pride and get a right view of ourselves? Well, Jesus continued, verse six. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, we cultivate these humble attitudes as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to be righteous in this sense is about becoming good, humble people. Jesus is not talking about hoping you become righteous enough to get, to get eternal life. Remember, we receive eternal life by faith in what Jesus has done alone. But we are called to grow in these humble attitudes. And when we're hungry and thirsty for them, we will grow in them. Then God will bless us. And when he blesses us, that's when we thrive. And a key part of all of this is feeding the hunger to become more righteous and more humble, to become better people. And I think that's why most of you are here, right? You're here because you really do want to become a better person. You want to become a better friend, a better neighbor, a better spouse, a better parent. And here at City Church, we exist to help you in that aspiration. But if we want to thrive, we must be willing to grow in humility. We must be willing to allow our rich spirits to become poor and to allow our proud hearts to become meek. That's the path to thrive in life. So how do you grow in humility, right? So in the, in the, the little bit of time I have left, I want to share with you what I've been learning about growing in humility. You see, because humility is not one of those uh, characteristics where you can just say, okay, today I'm going to become humble. It just doesn't work that way. We grow in humility by leaning into life experiences that force us to rethink our views of ourselves. And we don't like leaning into them. You know why? Because they're often painful. And it doesn't feel good to lean into a painful experience. But how we respond to certain painful circumstances can lead us to become either broken and humble or bitter and self-absorbed. And so these are some of the life experiences that God has used to help me grow in humility. The first are words of brutal truth. There have been certain times in my life where people have spoken words of brutal truth that have challenged me to alter my view of myself. People have told me that I was prideful. People have told me I was insensitive. People have told me I was a boring speaker. Yeah. (laughs) 
And the way I responded to those words of brutal truth determined whether I would grow in humility or become hardened in my pride. So how have you responded to words of brutal truth? From people you know love you and care about you. I'm not talking about people who have spoken harsh words to you trying to tear you down. You know there's a difference. I'm talking about people who spoke words of brutal truth that you knew loved you, cared for, they're rooting for you. How have you responded to those words? Have you argued against them? Have you rejected them? Have you ignored them? If you will lean into the pain of words of brutal truth, they will help you grow in humility and then you can thrive. The second kind of life experience that God has used to help me grow in humility is what I call shocking awakenings. A little over 15 years ago, I was shocked to discover I was an angry man. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about my own anger issues and how I've learned to resolve them in a few weeks and what Jesus taught about it. But in essence, I had screamed at this little boy, I made him cry, and in response, he looked up at me and told me I was evil. My actions and his words shocked me. And that experience drove me to reassess my own view of myself. I spent the next several years leaning into the pain of that shocking awakening, going through the, the process that we here at City Church now call peeling the onion. And through this program, I, I finally figured out why I was so angry and what to do about my anger. But it all began with how I responded to a shocking awakening. How have you responded to shocking awakenings? Have you denied what you saw? Have you excused what you did or what you said? If you will lean into the pain of a shocking awakening, they will break you and they will make you more humble. And that's how you will thrive. A third kind of life experience that God has used to help me grow in humility is what I call seasons of utter failure. There have been a few seasons in my life where I have experienced that kind of utter failure and God has used, used those seasons to break my self-reliance, my arrogance, and my pride. How have you responded to them? And I'm not talking about someone who told you you were a failure. That's someone trying to bring you down. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, let me just say this. You're not a failure. We can all fail, but that doesn't mean you're a failure, right? There's a difference. But how have you responded to seasons of failure? If you will lean into the pain of that season, God can use it to shape you and to give you the mind of Christ, full of power and humility. You can grow in humility if you will lean into that pain, and that is how you will thrive. And I know what I'm talking about. Remember that the season I just told you about when I couldn't get a job for over a year? I had two master's degree in an, degrees in an area, and I couldn't get a job. Well, during that season, God showed me that I had a rich spirit. He showed me I had a proud heart. And, you know, up to that point, if I could just be honest, I really had not experienced much, much failure. It's like everything I did, I succeeded. I, I thought I, I did well. But God used the pain of that utter failure to break me and humble me and change me. And something else happened. When I began to admit my own spiritual poverty, 
and to, to grow in humility. Not only did God begin to heal my heart, but he began to heal my body as well. And this is what I mean by that. Back during that season of my life, I had terrible stomach problems. Like I couldn't eat peppers and onions and jalapenos and all the good stuff, all the stuff that makes food taste good. You know what I'm saying? My stomach was messed up all the time. I had to carry little packages of Tums around with me and I just ate them like candy all day long. And you know what I noticed? As I began to deal with my issues and as I began to deal with my pride, my body began to change. Let me tell you what, man. I eat Serrano's now. And then as I began to admit my own pride, God opened up an unexpected door. This, this church in Locust Grove, Virginia, in a beautiful planned community, called me to be their first associate pastor. And it was so unusual because I didn't know a single person in Virginia, didn't know anybody at the church. I had no strings to pull. Nobody was vouching for me. It's just like God just opened up this beautiful door of ministry. And during those years, I began to taste what it was like to thrive. And I'm jealous of that for you. It all began when I leaned to the pain of utter failure. I think of all the truths that I think I've learned and have been learning about humility is that it's better to humble yourself than to have to be humbled, if you know what I mean. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Are you hearing some brutal words of truth? Are you wrestling with a shocking awakening? Are you in a season of utter failure? If you will lean into the pain of that experience, God will use it to bring humility into your life and you will come out of the other side thriving. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you and Today we are standing on the teachings of your son, Jesus Christ, who calls us to pursue humility, these humble attitudes and characteristics. And Lord, I pray for those who are going through these kinds of life experiences that often humble us, if we'll let them. Maybe someone has heard a word of brutal truth or They've experienced a shocking awakening or maybe they're in the middle of a season of utter failure, Lord. If that's true of you, just, just offer yourself up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to grow in humility. Let that be your prayer. Lord, I want to grow in humility. Help me to be poor in spirit. Help me to mourn over my sins. Help me to be a meek person, Lord. And God, my prayer is, is that as we pursue these attitudes, as we express our hunger and our thirst for righteousness, I ask that you would do what Jesus promised, that you would fill us up, that you would fill us up with these characteristics that will cause you to bless us and will cause us to thrive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.